Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention, along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. Well, hello, everybody. I'm not, I'm still, oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> this is great. This is always great. Since, they, since they've changed Facebook, it's like this big deal now to try to make this thing happen. Here we go. Okay, we're over there now. Welcome. It's Frankie Sensen Moore. Wow, we've been a, it's been a little while since I've, I've seen all of you, but we're back. <laughs> Today, I've got some two amazing guests, uh, mother and daughter. Rosie Aiello, she is an award-winning entrepreneur, a best-selling author, a speaker, women's empowerment mentor, and transformational leader. Her daughter, Sunny, was born and raised in both Saudi Arabia and Lebanon until she was 20. And she's armed with a degree in both sociology and theology, and she works with children and young adults to overcome emotional blocks and barriers. Now, together, mom and daughter are the authors of the upcoming memoir, 11 Hours to Freedom. And together, they created the Love is Kind movement to help save 1 million women and their children from domestic abuse. Before I say anything more about that, let's go right to the source. Better to do, better to do that. <laughs> so welcome to the show. So appreciate uh, having you both here. Thank, thank you. Thank you for having us. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Now, uh, I know that, that, you know, I didn't give you any questions. I said, I'm just going to, you know, go with the flow. So you, you've you got this, this love is kindness. You have the book that you're working on 11 hours to freedom. Obviously it came from somewhere. Um, you, uh, Rosie coined the term domestic terrorism. So let's take us back, 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 back to even before you got married and, and met your husband, where were you? What were you doing? I was in the, I was in California and I was working in Silicon Valley, the high tech companies, fast paced. I was uh, a rising star in corporate uh, financial management. And we had actually met at UC Berkeley, you know, years before and had kept up, um, you know, our contacts and things like that. And he had actually moved to Saudi Arabia during that time um, after we, after he graduated. But had and he lived, sorry, had he lived in America before the whole time or? He, he well, he's from Lebanon and he okay. came to do, he did graduate work at Stanford and then he got a doctorate in civil engineering at UC Berkeley. Got and it. I was doing my undergraduate work there and um, we met at a class, in <laughs> a class there. And we did just very little at that time. And then we kind of went our separate ways. He moved to Saudi Arabia, which was really booming. And one day when he was coming to visit the United States, um, as he always did, you know, he came visiting every, every year and he would just call and say hi. And then one year when he called to say hi, it kind of turned into a little bit more. Okay. Okay. How it all started, you know? And so how long did you have the more before you guys actually just got engaged and we were uh we, were, we dated for about two years 
and two years long distance because he was in Saudi Arabia. But did he, he go back and forth? Did he came him? back and forth and um, ran up very expensive telephone bills. <laughs> there was no Skype during those days or, or any of these uh, voiceover internet providers. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, it was, uh, it was quite amazing. You know? <laughs> and, and, and so during this relationship, did you go to Lebanon and meet his family? I, I, I did after, I'm trying to think of the time frame here. Yeah, it was right before we got engaged. So it was like, well, we were getting more serious. And it's like, well, can I really live in the Middle East? And I right. think he wanted me to meet his family. So I actually did. I, I went to Lebanon and I met his mother and his sister her husband and two children and, you know, some other relatives. I also went to Saudi Arabia and just to see, cause that's where I would be living uh, first and just to see, could I be there, live there, accommodate there? And, you know, the people are fabulous in both countries. Right. Yeah. But and how was his family? Were they progressive? They were really sweet. His mother is just an angel. We got along really well. Uh, I spoke French to his family because I'm fluent in French. Oh, so wow. that really helped with the communication with his family. And then eventually I learned Arabic, but our primary language was French. Um, yeah, his family was really sweet. Just, and all, he had his extended family too, all of his cousins. I was just really welcomed into, into the whole family. And, and the Lebanese are really kind and sociable and fun and like to party and <laughs> go to restaurants and <laughs> sure yeah yeah and what was his religion he uh is greek orthodox okay. which is similar to catholicism except they don't follow the allegiance to the pope but right. it's very 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 close and his mother so his father was greek orthodox and then his mother was well, let's say Catholic for it, so people understand. So not a huge change for you as far as dynamic in that room. No, and, and all of his schooling, and all through college, uh, you know, through his old undergraduate, sure. was all at a Catholic, uh, Catholic schools. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. We, yeah. Okay, and your family is what, Italian background? Yes. Sicilian. <laughs> 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 Lots of passion there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the the romance went, you got married. What country did you get married in? We got married in the United States. Actually, that wasn't the plan. The plan was originally to get married in Lebanon, although there was still quite a bit of war going on. But um, I would say about a month before we were supposed to have gotten married, the person who was his cousin who was going to be his best man was killed oh, in no. a sniper fire. So his mother just said, you know, and her brother passed away. She said, just, just get married in the United States, um, which many years later turned out to be a blessing. We didn't know that, but it turned out to be a blessing. And then within a week, we moved to Saudi Arabia. And he'd already been living and working there. Right, right. Were there any warning signs looking back? Well, warning signs, you know, now that I'm more educated, you know, yes. Did I know them at the time? No. No, of course not. But, right. You know, you know, that... Yeah. Yeah, there were, there, there were, you know, there were signs of his um, possessiveness, his control, even when he would, you know, come over from, from Saudi Arabia. It's just like, he wanted me to just like drop everything and be with him. But, you know, I was working for a company. I wasn't working for myself. I didn't have, sure. you know, freedom of my own time. He would sometimes call from Saudi Arabia and tell me, you know, or ask me, oh, can you call this store or can you go do this errand? And then he'd call me the next day 
And when it wasn't done, you know, it's like, oh no, I didn't do it because I'm in an open cubicle. You know, I can barely talk to him, you know? And then he would get very angry. And I, but I never, I just thought, oh, well, I don't want to disappoint him. You know, right. I just got to be, do better. You know, I was, you know, I knew how to perform, you know, I was high performing in my work. I could be high performing in my relationship. And that, that was an underlying theme throughout our whole relationship. But I didn't know that. Did um, he call or, you names? He, he didn't, he didn't call me. No, he didn't, uh, you know, I mean like, uh, bad names. No, he, he didn't. But, you know, was it, did he ever like suddenly go, Oh, you're just so stupid or you're just, he didn't not. say you're so stupid, but he would say, you know, you're not, you're not a team player. You know, you're just, you know, you're never around for me. You know, you know, I'm not important to you. You know, lots of guilt trippy kinds sure. of wording and things like that. Yeah. He would insult me and put me down in different ways, but he didn't do much name calling. Okay. Um, uh, other than, you know, you're not a team player, but he would just like, you know, you know, how can you, how can you forget this? You know, why, why don't you know where your keys are? I mean, it just, you know, if I did one little thing wrong, it would be blown yeah. up into uh, a big thing, a big thing yeah. all the time. What did he do? He was a civil engineer okay, uh, by education, but in Saudi Arabia, he did mostly, uh, he didn't do engineering uh, per se, but he oversaw engineering projects and he did lots of contract management, which meant Saudi Arabia was just absolutely booming then. Yeah. yeah. He, this, we're talking about the, the 70s, the mid 70s. You know, oil prices were rising. If you remember the oil embargo here, yeah. well, hot there. And he, and, and to get the infrastructure built, Saudi Arabia had to seek sources uh, outside. So he would negotiate with the, uh, French, with the Lebanese, with the uh, British, and sometimes with American companies to do work in Saudi Arabia. And they, and the, those companies needed somebody like him to be that intersection. Right. Uh, and then, and then, then your daughter was born? My daughter was born in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. And did that, did the relationship improve or go down from after the birth? For the it, well, it was, I can't say it improved. I mean, he was thrilled with the birth of, of his daughter. I mean, he was, he was you were daddy's funny. girl, Sunny. <laughs> well, she's an only child. Yeah. So that's, you were that, like, that, wrapped around a little bit. Um, I don't know if I can say that because it came with strings attached, so I wouldn't exactly. But when you were the little myself. girl, the little girl, the two, three-year-old, that you know, four-year-old, you know, daddy, daddy. Probably, probably. Yeah. yeah. Because I didn't have my own opinion then. Right. Well, I did, but not strongly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> An opinionated two-year-old. <laughs> did you feel? Did you? Did you feel like as a young, young girl? Did you feel um, that you had to be perfect all the time? Um, I realized that later my motto is to go into perfection, especially as an adult. So I imagine that was my case as a kid, but I felt that more so now, um, when I finally went back to school and completed my undergrad, I could feel like the stress of being perfect and panic and anxiety of not showing up to the standard of perfection. But, um, yeah. 
Did he get did he get upset at himself for not being perfect? Um I don't know. All I know is um he would get mad at mom or myself if we didn't show up to his standard. So Yeah. It's it's really hard to tell about him. It's like he could do no wrong, but with us, like we could do everything wrong. Sure. And was your mother in law or the family aware of him, of the way he acted, Rosie? Um. Well, you know they pro- they probably were, but it was just when you're not aware of that that's not accepted. You know, we're talking about a hugely patriarchal society. Sure where, you know, his father died when he was young. So he was considered even, you know, the, the man of the house, you know, his mother looked up to him. His sister looked up to him because he had one younger sister. And so it, like, like my daughter was saying, he could do no wrong. Did, did he, was he ever upset that he did anything wrong? No, because he never recognized that he did anything sure. wrong. He was the golden child. He was, yeah, you know, um, and he just never, um, you know, they, he fought with his, his, his sibling, you know, his sister and his mother, I would often inter, um, intercede. He would ask me, you know, or I would just do it on my own to intercede on his behalf. I was like the peacemaker between him and everybody else. Um, he had gotten violent with his sister and I had to pull him off of her physically violent, physically violent with her. And I had to pull him off of her and her children are right there. And I'm shoving the kids, you know, into the room so they don't see. And of course they're screaming and everything else. And uh, so, um, and even when they would come over, I'm sure you'll remember this, Sunny, too, is this like, there was immediate tension. Yeah. You know, when they would come over, it's like, not that they created the tension, he created the tension. I enjoyed their company, but together it was like oil and fire. I, you know, I, I was married to an abusive husband for 12 years and, and I know that, that feeling of that tension. I got the tension when he came home and I didn't realize it until right near the end. And then as soon as I realized, oh wow, like my heart's speeding up, like, why is it doing that? Or my, this, you know, it was like, it's time to go. He's going to make me sick. <laughs> He's going to give me cancer or something. And that's yeah. how it is, right? All that cortisol, you don't re- realize it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big believer, you know, talking to the women. I've talked to women all over the world. And I, there is not one case where there's not some physical um, illness, serious or whatever. That would, right. you know, When you're, you're holding all that in, body's going to say, hey, it's got to come out somehow. That's right. Uh, yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. I don't think they realize that. Yeah. So when, when did it get so bad that you're like, I'm not doing this anymore? What, what, what led up to that? Well, there were a lot of things. I mean, I just felt like I could just never do enough. Or if he set a goal, it was like the goal pulse kept getting moved. I'd get there and then he moved it. So I never, I never made it. So I was, it was just like, God, what's, what's wrong? You know, and I, it never felt right. And when she was young, you know, I'm saying like seven, it's just like, I, I just, I didn't like the way I was being treated. I just didn't like the way I was being treated. Were you allowed to work at, there? Um, yes, I worked uh, in his company and then I did some other projects in Saudi Arabia for other female um, business owners. Sure. I did that. Um, but he didn't like me out of the house. 
you know, I volunteered a lot. I volunteered with the, uh, a huge American women's group. We held our, our meetings at the U.S. Embassy. I produced, you know, live shows every month for years there. Wow. But that was on a volunteer basis. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I went out and didn't, he called me hedonistic. You know, here I'm in a country. I'm away from my family. I'm away mm-hmm. from my friends. I left my career. And then for me to have any kind of fun or pleasure or outlet, if I got out of the house, then I was labeled hedonistic, but then he could go out with his friends and it would be okay. Did he take you out? Did he ever take you out on dates or anything? We went out. Yeah, we went out Should to we dinner. Out? And because um, there isn't much to do in Saudi Arabia, there's a huge social network. So you're always going to people's homes or you're having, you know, you're entertaining at your home. I would have anywhere from three to five um, lunches or dinners a week that I would either be invited to, or I was actually hosting. Wow. You know, Did you have help in your house? Yeah. yeah. yeah we had live in help, mm-hmm. um, which was good, nice. but had to get used to it. You know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. You're wandering around the house, but you know, I got used to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, that was okay. That was okay. Um, okay. So, so I just, you know, we're getting a, a, a sense of, you know, life, life there, which, you know, social, but, he got jealous. He, he kind of just wanted to control where you were at what time. And yes. yeah, if he allowed it, it was okay. And if he didn't, well, so were you allowed to come home and visit your family? Did you do it like yearly or? Much? We only went, I only could see my family as when we went together. Oh. He never, he never let me go visit my family alone. You know, like all my other girlfriends, American friends would easily, you know, they go and, her husband would be just there, but I never could until uh, my father was really ill. And then like the last, you know, few years of his life and then my mom's, um, I was allowed, you know, to have a separate trip. We went together as a family during the summer and then I was allowed to go once, uh, you know, a year to visit them when they were getting older. Um, okay. And even in the first few years of marriage, I didn't even feel like I could call. I had to ask permission. Can I call my family? Wow. So maybe I would call them, you know, maybe twice a year or something, you know, nothing ever felt that it was mine. It was like, everything was his, it was his house, his money, his phone, his, this. So it's like, I was just visiting. Yeah. Tony, (laughs) when you you went to school, Sonny, you, you were at school. Um, you had friends, I'm sure. Yeah girlfriends and were you allowed a boyfriend <laughs> uh no I was not allowed to really have a dating life um, okay. anyway and yeah but um I had a social network I was allowed to have friends um but yeah I was definitely allowed to have friends did you have a curfew I never really needed one because I was never the type to go out super late anyway. And if I did, it was very rare. Like it was occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not. Ne- I was never the real super hardcore partier, even as a young kid or teenager. I, that was never my personality. So when you went home with your mom to California, what? I mean, it's a little bit of a difference. What? Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> did you like California? Were you? Did you? Were you comfortable there? Did you just want to get back to Lebanon, or how did you feel? All of it, because, you know, it was one thing visiting California every year, visiting San Francisco and a whole other world, living there, because I had a major culture shock. 
coming here and living here, even though I am an American, I was born overseas, but I'm American. It was a very different feeling. I felt very much like an outsider and an insider. So it's like, I didn't feel like I fully belonged in either world. Cause like I like when I was in the middle East, I was like the American middle Eastern girl. Right. So it was, I just never felt like I fully belonged anywhere fully. So it was a big adjustment. Um, it was nice being able to see my mom's side of the family more. Cause like I only got to see them once a year. Um, do you have cousins in the States? Yes, I do. Okay. And you spoke French, Arabic, and English. Is that the three languages that you speak? Yes. Okay. Um, so you went on the yearly trips and it was nice, but it was nice to go back home because you felt a little more comfortable maybe there. Now, I, I, the one thing that I had read, Rosie, uh, Sunny, was you were waiting for Sunny to tell you she was done. Why, right. why you never said to her, I got to go, let's go. The reason is, is that in the Middle East, um, custody automatically goes to the father until they reach major at 18. So even though like from, you know, from the time she was seven, it's like, I just, I didn't know how I was going to survive. I mean, he was so critical of me that I thought, okay, I'll just give her, I'll just hire a nanny and I will leave because I couldn't stand his constant criticism. And if that was going to be better for her, I was going to just do it. And then when I told him that, you know, and so he goes, no, no, no. Then he would back down. But I really believed it's like, he just told me I was a horrible wife, a mother. Um, but I couldn't leave her. You know, I would have never left without my daughter, even though I I was saying that, but I was feeling so desperate because, you know, there's no, there are no courts in custody. It's just automatic. And so if I left before she turned 18, I I just can't even imagine the battle that would have ensued. I mean, already now she was just shy of turning 21 when we did our escape and he still to this day thinks I brainwashed her and I kidnapped her. So, um, so he really lives in a different, really a different world than the two of you. It's scary. It's really scary what world he lives in. And then we suffer the aftermath of that world because he's stalked and harassed me relentlessly since we left him for eight years. Wow. Like how, what does he do? Does he personally, or does he send people or? Well, for a while I was terrified. Like there's a part of me that's still scared. He could send people, even though he won't do it himself. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like he could easily send people like recently last year while we were writing our memoir, we found out he hired or is working with someone who's stalking me online, who works with the um, Lebanese militaries. Like, my God, it's like shit. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was really scared. And um, he, he would somehow... We don't know how, but he would find out where we lived every time we moved. Um, he sends stuff to me. He would he would create fake profiles on Facebook, and I would report them. And I don't know if Facebook has done anything about it, um, which is why I have a love-hate relationship with Facebook, because they need to do so much better at protecting women and children like us. Like, this is not okay. Um. Yeah, and, like, he's reached out to friends of ours and our family members to stalk me and go after me. So 
he's used every resource possible. Like, and all he wants is you back. That's it. Yeah. Even though I've personally told him many times that I don't want to be with you. And I sent him a restraining order. Um, I mean, knowing it won't have much effect, but like at least having the documentation and evidence for me, cause like, I never know when I could use that. It's a paper better. trail for you. Yeah. yeah. It's a paper. Exactly. Yeah. At the very least it's that. Right. So yeah, I created a lot of fear for eight years ever since we left him. I've been living in fear of him. I mean, he found out what university I was graduating from. He found out where I worked. your graduation? No, thank God. Well, he couldn't anyway. He had sure. to have invitation tickets, but uh, he, 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 he knew um, where I graduated from and where I went to school. He said, because I know, I know that because he sent a, a letter to my campus. Yeah, exactly. Like it was, it was terrifying. Like that sent me down a really suicidal triggering path. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. that didn't even feel like mine. Like that was like, I was really, what I was excited about, like going to the university of San Francisco was, oh, this gets to be my space. Like I'm in a new country. This is really my experience. I worked hard. I got in. It was like a sense of accomplishment. And it's like, there he is. He invades everything. Yeah. He showed up and like, he had to like make a point. Like I couldn't even have that. Even, even he, he was so resourceful from the middle East. So yeah. Is there, is there any way to, to stop him from coming to the country? Well, he believes that he can't come to the country for some reason or another. My mom would know how to answer that question more than me. Cause like, that's something between that happened in the court. I don't know. I don't even know. If, well, like, but yeah. Yeah. Mom's I know in Canada, like, if, if you don't pay your child support, they call them the deadbeat dads. They're not allowed to, to they're not allowed to come back into the country until they've paid that. What's oh, up? interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, she's, she was um, beyond 18. So sure. he didn't technically have to pay her, but That's he was in contempt of court. Um, I mean, I can't tell you how many lawyers he went through because I think they just gave up working with him as well. So he believes that he'll be um, arrested if he enters the United States. I'm not sure if that's true anymore. Um, but yeah, he's he made everything 10 times more difficult than had to be. And, and all he wants is her back. All he wants is her back. And he's still, still, I mean, to as do of, what? You know, just to be there. He wants contact with his daughter. You know? okay. And you're afraid of him. Yeah. You're afraid of him. Okay. I mean, since my mother and I left Lebanon, which was eight, nine years, we left Lebanon in 2009. We haven't been back to Lebanon. And I don't know, honestly, if I can ever go back as long as he's alive, because like, would I want to go back to Lebanon? Would I want to visit my country that I grew up in? Of course, you know? Mm-hmm. But as long as he's alive, I don't feel safe, especially that Lebanon is such a small country and everybody knows everybody. And like, if word gets out one minute that I'm there, he'll go after me. And I don't think I would be able to come back because like he would be able to have that power over me. So even as an adult, even as an adult. Yeah. So I wouldn't, I don't want I don't want to even risk it. Yeah. And like, it, miss, it would not just grandparents. Be, Do you miss your, is she dead or are they still alive? They all, they all passed away both on my mother's side and my father's. So I don't have, I don't have that support. And like, it wouldn't just be him. 
as an adult, it'll be like everybody around him, all his like minion supporters, I would call them, because he mm-hmm. he would get them to rally and guilt trip me, like why I should say, and like kind of make me safe. I mean, they do that already with me now. Like I've been victim shamed. I call it victim shaming because like I'm the one guilt tripped. I'm the one made feel bad. Like, oh, your father's an old lonely man. Like, he's gonna die. Like, you should reconcile. Like, they make it seem like I'm the one who's causing this. Like, how old is he, Rosie? Um, he's seventy-three. Oh, is he? Okay. No, he's not that old. He's not that old. But <laughs> but it's exactly what she said. I mean, it just it, it and it never. It's just like you know, he gets people to do things that are just like illegal. I mean, it's. Oh no! I just—it it was just astounding, and I yeah. and I heard the recording. She goes, and I go, what? Um, and and he hasn't paid me a penny. I mean, I knew when we escaped that I probably wouldn't get anything. But you know, our freedom was so much more important. But do I deserve it? You bet. Sure. I was married twenty-three years. Yeah, and not a penny. Yeah. Um, and so all of, you know, his best friend, um, who is my daughter's godfather and my best friend who's her godmother, he was, you know, like she said, how, how he was talking to everybody. So he was talking to them and they thought, well, we're just going to do it for, for, you know, for Sunny. We're going to help her. And, and they kept talking to him and saying, well, you, you know, you need to pay Rosie. You know, he doesn't seem to connect that the more he mistreats me, the more it's going to push his daughter away. And right. then finally they just gave up, you know, we can't deal with them. I says, I, I tried to warn you not to talk. Yeah, to my, my mother and I tried to warn my godparents multiple times. Like they wouldn't listen. Everybody feels that thinks and believes that they're the solution with my father. And they feel like, oh, we're going to be the savior. We're going to be the savior for you. We're, we're that person. And we're like, oh, we've been down this rodeo more than you know, and more than you can imagine. And No, you're not like, no, and like when if it's even more painful if they're not willing to listen and if they're so blindly defending him without even being open to our pain and what like the possibility that like hey something could be wrong with him more than us because like the way they position everything it's like my fault and that everything would be better if I reconciled with him and I like they think he's a normal person that you can talk to and rationalize with. That's what people don't get about narcissists and sociopaths like my father. They look normal. I mean, like... I know. When, when people say... When I hear reports on the news and stuff and people say, oh, well, he didn't look like a rapist or he didn't look like this or he didn't look like... Well, what do you expect them to look like? Is right. there supposed to be a physical attribute? It's not a physical attribute. It's more like what their personality is like. That That's the code to know what you're dealing with. And usually they're really brilliant. Usually they're really bright. They're so brilliant and so influential. And they're usually in high positions like presidents and stuff. Right. And, and so people think, Oh, he's so smart. How could he do anything wrong? Like what's wrong with us? Yeah. 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 And he was, he was, he was probably one of the, you know, one of the smartest guys for sure that I had ever been with. And of course the flip side, he was charming yeah. Uh, he told jokes, you know, because I think he was so smart. He was highly cultured. He was the life of the party. I mean, even with his, even with his friends, he was the center of attention. He was the life of the party. Um, he was very social, you know, so it's like, 
And of course, that's the part you fall in love with. That's the part that you sure. like. The charmer. Yeah. Yeah. I got that too. You know, I, friends said to me, oh, you're so lucky you're married to him. He's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I'm not. Yeah, right. And they only see, like Sunny was saying, they just see that outside. That's right. And the painful thing is, the painful thing, especially for me, I don't know if you got this as much as I did, Mom, but for me, like people will be like, no, but I know your father. Mm -hmm. I'm like, with all due respect, no, you don't. Mm -hmm. I'm the one who lived with him 24 7. I saw what he was really like behind closed doors. You just get moments of, of time with him, of his life. Mm-hmm. And to say that you know my father well and, like, you jump to his defense, it's like, sorry, but no. If anybody was the expert on my father, it's to me. You know, a true testament to someone's character is how they treat somebody when nobody's watching. Exactly. So, and, of course, you know, you don't ever know anybody till you live with them. Yeah. You know, that, that really is the truth. Right. I mean, unless there are warning signs before and it gets like more and more evident later on, it's like, it gets so loud and clear that it's hard not to notice. Well, you know, in the beginning, like women think, oh, you know, he's so attentive or he's, or, you know, it's because he cares about me so much that he doesn't want me to go out by myself or he wants me to stay home or whatever it is. You know, you think, oh, that's so, that's so cute. Not cute. (laughs) Not fun. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. It's, it's, yeah, because there's an underlying theme of control there. It's exactly. Like, oh, I got to need to know where you go. I mean, I uh, there was one episode where I had gone to church. She didn't want to go. I went by myself, and I had and we live. This is now in Lebanon, so we're because there are no churches in Saudi Arabia, so we're in Lebanon. And I turned off my cell phone, and then I went to a little store in the village on the way home, and. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, this the clerk from the store comes up to me with the phone in his hand, and my husband was on the phone screaming at me, why did you turn off your cell phone? I needed to tell you some things to buy. And I'm going, you know, I'm in the middle of a store, right? So I have to hold my composure as he's screaming at me and yelling at me for turning off my phone when I went to church. And I, and I horribly forgot to put it back, you know, turn it back on. You know, you, it's, this, it's this constant contact, you know, it's like. But that he could track you down in a store. Yeah. That's pretty scary. Well, see, that, that's what he was doing. Like after we escaped from him, like he used every resource possible. Like I worked for an MLM at one point. Oh, I, I don't know how. I really don't know how. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he managed this. Somehow he knew where I worked. I don't know what he had to do, what he had to say, but somehow he got the personal contact information of my MLM manager who hired me on her team. He got her name and her contact number, what he had to say to those people who he had to get through to get for them to hand them over such personal information and what he had to say to her. I don't know. Like, it was just scary. It was really scary. I think she told you or me, like, look, your father knows. Like, he, I got this message from him. We need to talk. And I'm like. Wow. And then there's the flip side of all this. When people do the love bombing, which makes it more confusing. Like, when they overly uh, are, like, too romantic too much at once. In the beginning, like in the first few months, like that's also a red flag, even though it might not seem like it. Oh, he or she's being super romantic, you know, and 
Buying or they tell you, gifts. I love you in two weeks. <laughs> yeah. And buying you gifts and taking you to fancy places. And, yeah. you know, ladies, listen to this. This is, this is, you know, all signs. I remember being 16 and had a boyfriend who would ask me out, say he'd be there at seven and never show up all night. And by the second time he did, I thought, okay, that's just a control thing. He just wants to keep me in. I said, if you're not here, I will go out. Mm. And he tried it again and I went out and, you know, he wasn't happy. I go, what am I supposed to stay in because you don't want to show up? No, but thank goodness I recognize that so quickly. Like, I'm not doing that. No way. But it is, you know, some some people would think, oh, you know, that's so cute or whatever it is. But no, it's not. No, it's, it's not, not fun. Not. It's not great. Jealous that's what's dangerous. That's scary. Yeah, that's that's what's dangerous about it is when they love bomb to get you confused. Like they build you up and then they'll tear you down individually, like yeah. slowly in a in subtle ways. So he broke his hand that night punching it in into a car door because he was so upset that I went out without him. Wow. Is crazy, yeah, they're crazy, and, yeah. and I guess he's a little bipolar, you know, and and different stuff. I wish on. I wish we had that excuse for him, but he's not. He doesn't have. Well, it. he's only a narcissist. He's person. only a just narcissist. a narcissist. Yeah, <laughs> just a narcissist. Just a narcissist. There's yeah. a lot of them around. What can I say? Oh my goodness. So tell tell and us about the flight leaving. Okay. How long did you plan that? So in April of 2009, Sonny was a junior at the American University of Beirut in Lebanon. And, you know, she just came charging home that one day and just said, you've got to get away from my father. And, and uh, this, this is the honest truth. And I said, you know, you're a junior. I go, can't you wait one more year? And she goes, <laughs> look at her. It's like, no, mom. And I just thought, you know, how stupid, Rosie, you know give her another year of toxic behavior, another year of poison. But at that moment, I thought, you want to, you're thinking, you're like, a mom, finish school, finish school. Yeah. It's like, we we can just, you know, one more year, you know, it'll be a lot easier. So we go as a family. Remember I was telling you, we'd always go as a family to the United States and we were going to leave as a family to the United States in July. So I had four months to plan the escape. And I knew it had to be escape because whenever you probably know this from your own experience, whenever you're leaving somebody who is controlling, who's a narcissist, you never, ever, ever tell them ahead of time. Oh yeah. That's when they can clamp down on the controls. Now ours was a lot harder because we were in a foreign country. He already had the ability to keep us. I mean, technically I had to get permission. I would have had to gotten permission to fly, you know, or, or whatever. I wasn't going to take any chances. So I started, um, you know, packing up things in, in the house, just taking what, what we needed. And I, I then told two other girlfriends in Lebanon, you know, they were Americans married to, um, one was married to Brit, one was married to Lebanese and started to pack up things and put it to my girlfriend's house. And mind you in Lebanon, there are a lot of electricity uh, shortages, electricity mm-hmm. cuts. So we were on the fourth floor. So if there was an electricity cut, I couldn't use the elevator. So oh. I would get into the, the guest bathroom. I would lock the door, pack my boxes, and then hope he wasn't, he was not in the house. Hope I had electricity, get the box. Hopefully that nobody in the building of only six condominiums would see me. And I start asking questions, put it in the back of my car and drive it down to be, downtown Beirut 
and put it in her house. And I did that for four months. It felt like we were smuggling from our own home. Yes. <laughs> in a way, because like we felt guilty. Did he not and, notice like, the stuff gone? No, thank God. He did. I mean, like we should know, know, let people know that at that time, like he was working from home and he's always oh, wow. worked from home. He's always worked from home, but especially since we moved to Lebanon. So he was more at home than he was not. Like there were a few times where he had happened to have a trip to Saudi Arabia when, during that time, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Right. And like, that just happened to be a coincidence or something. But yeah, he was home a lot. And like one time, I remember, if I'm not mistaken, one time we almost got caught by neighbors like who saw us with boxes. Or am I making this memory? Oh, up? maybe like, for you. I, I don't remember, but it could have been. <laughs> I, remember, I remember like at, at night, it was one of the times we were doing it at night. And like I, we ran into the neighbors and like, <laughs> we're fine. Yeah. And you know, when, even though, when you're hiding something, you just automatically feel guilty. Yeah. Yeah. Just like she said, we felt like I felt like I was stealing from my own home. Like I didn't have yeah. a right to any of the, any of these things. What were you taking? The Our first, stuff. No, but was, like what kind of stuff? The first thing well, I made, necessary things like things or just memories or. Yeah. The very first thing I took were all the photo albums. I yeah. took every, that was the first thing before clothes, before anything. I took all of those. And, and then I took actually some things off the walls because see, I knew he wasn't visual, but I replaced it with something else that I didn't care about. 